Even companies write job descriptions, they're writing for mainly men in tech. Also, they're writing for younger people. Oh, we have ping pong, we have pool at our office. Those are the benefits. My community don't even care about that. What they care about is focused on how the company will support them in their career. So those are the signals that they're looking for. Today's interview is with Benny Kunche, who runs a newsletter-based business called Diversify Tech, which is all about helping uh, people who are underrepresented break into the tech world. Uh, she's got a really interesting business model of a mix of sponsorships, uh, job board, which I think is a, a business model in newsletters that we don't talk about enough. When you have that community, there's a great opportunity there. Anyway, it's a great episode. We cover everything from how she got started, uh, transitioning from tech to starting her newsletter. Well, we dive deep into uh, companies who are looking to hire a diverse team and mistakes that they make and what they can do differently, how transparency really matters. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. Towards the end of the podcast, she gets into sharing uh, the exact numbers behind the business, how much she's making per month, how that's changed over the last couple of years. I think you're going to love it. Let's dive in. Vinny, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So I'd love to just start, if you could tell listeners a little bit, what is Diversify Tech and, um, you know, at a high level, like what's the business model behind it? Yeah. Um, so Diversify Tech, it's a curated newsletter. Uh, primary purpose is to connect uh, people who are underrepresented in tech with career opportunities. So I share... Um, scholarships uh, that are available, um, jobs, um, events that are happening uh, in, around the around the U.S. Um, so the main purpose is uh, to connect uh, people who are underrepresented uh, to these opportunities. Um, the the reason I started it is because when you're underrepresented, um, when you're in your workplace or in your col- at college or wherever, you feel very alone. And you don't really have a network uh, of people like you. So I wanted to bring something where I could be that resource for people. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you were working as a software developer in tech, and was this an idea that you were thinking about for a long time? And you're like, someone should make this. And then you realized that that someone was you. What was that, what was that leap? Uh, so, so actually, like, uh, I had no intention of starting something like this. It was, I actually just wanted to start a business. I didn't know what that was. Uh, So I was a software engineer for quite some time and I didn't quite fit into the corporate world. Uh, I kept switching jobs a lot. So I was like, one day I was like, um, you know what? I think I want to try something on my own. So I started exploring how does one start a business? How does one? And, it, you know, I learned that, you know, it takes quite some time to figure out who your customers are, customer market fit, you know, all of that. As I was learning, um, I was also volunteering for the Women Who Code um, uh, chapter in D.C. here. And uh, as I was volunteering, I connected with a lot of women in tech. Uh, and that's when I realized that there are a lot more of was than I thought, uh, and and everybody was trying to find each other, kind of to feel uh, connected and to kind of talk through this, you know, our issues. Um, and I, so I started doing just online office hours. So I was like, for thirty uh, minutes, I would just get on Google Hangouts and talk with people, and I connected with so many people from across the U.S. Uh, just by offering that. And then that's when I realized, okay, everybody's facing similar issues and we're all discussing the same thing over and over again. Uh, So I thought, oh, why don't I start a newsletter where I can reach more people? So prior to Diversify Tech, I started a newsletter called Code with Vinny, where I was like, oh, I'll share what I'm learning. And I will also, you know, share what other women in tech are doing. Um, And, you know, it was more supposed to be like inspirational. And, you know, that's how it started. Um, And after a year of running that, I started getting requests for sponsorships. People wanted to sponsor the newsletter. People wanted to post jobs. Uh, that's when it finally clicked that I was like, oh, I'm starting, trying to start a business. And I think I actually started one. <laughs> so that's what it was like. Oh, once I started getting receiving sponsorships, I was like, oh, this could be my business. So that's when I was like, then I kind of pivoted off of code with many because I didn't want the branding to be just me. So, and then I also wanted to include not just women, but everybody who's underrepresented in tech. So that's when I kind of like did diversify tech from that. It's always fascinating how when you build an audience, 
sometimes like the the business model will will just come, you know, or the business will just come and you're like, I don't know what it is. And then over time, someone's like, oh, could I do this? And you're like, I mean, I guess so. Like, sure. Yeah. Let's sponsorships. That's a great idea. Let's, you know, and then I imagine people are like, great. Can I sponsor with my job listing, you know, or something like that? I'm trying to get it in front of a more diverse community. And so is that where like the job board came in? Yes. Uh, as, as I started uh, growing the newsletter, sponsorships kind of uh, didn't make a lot of sense because the, the demand was higher than I, because I send the newsletter every week. You know, I can't have that many sponsors showing ads. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll start a job board itself and I will include job ads in the newsletter plus also on the website. So that's how the idea came. What was a moment in that process where you thought like, oh, this could actually be a, be the business that I've been trying to start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you know the first time was you know when I got my first sponsor uh, with Coded Venue, uh, and it was what they were willing to pay me was much much higher than I was expecting. I thought I would get like a hundred dollars or something, <laughs> and I thought and my first sponsor with all, the whole package, they signed me up for like a three month contract, and I think they pay me like ten thousand dollars for it. I was like, holy cow! Like I this is how much money one can make. <laughs> How many subscribers did you have at the time? Uh, at that time, I had about 1,500, I think. Yeah, so that's a, a substantial sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. So so that's when it finally clicked. That I was like, oh, I can do this, uh, turn this into a business. Uh, and then with Diversify Tech, um, when I started again, I started with smaller numbers. Um, it took a while for the job board to gain traction. Um and because I think I was very strict in who I wanted as customers. Um, and then it, after a year about running, uh, I think it, word, it spread through word of mouth because I run the job board slightly differently com- compared to other job boards. Um, I asked companies for like their demographics, you know, are you actually diverse right now? Uh, and also like, what are you doing exactly to, uh, you know, diversify your company? What are you doing to include people? Uh, so I asked all of those questions. So it took some while to get traction um, because I don't think people wanted to share that information at the beginning. Um, but as time went on, uh, I think people realized the strength, the strength in like growing a diverse team and uh and through word of mouth the job board itself started growing uh that's when last year at the beginning of last year i quit my job i was like okay i think um i can do this run this as a business and i wanted to focus on growth and that's when i quit my job last year uh, and started working on the newsletter and the job board nice I'm, i'm curious for that different angle that you took on um i guess asking each of the companies who want to post a job for like, okay, but what are you, besides paying money to post a job, what effort are you actually putting in? What progress have you made so far? Um, was that a hard decision, uh, especially in the early days or was it something that you're like, no, this is the way that, you know, diversified techs are actually going to uh, create change. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a hard decision in the sense that when I got my um, first few sponsors, uh, what had happened was I was sponsored by a company, you know, on the surface, everything looked great. Uh, but then it turned and they did hire somebody from my community. And then a, a few months later, I found out that uh, this person, a woman of color who was hired by this company, was having a terrible experience at this uh, uh, company. And that's when I realized that, okay, I can just pick whoever (laughs) Uh, I need to do um, because this had like a real life impact on somebody uh, just because, you know, I chose to take them as a sponsor. And that's when I was like, okay, this is like serious. I need to really need to figure out who I'm having as a sponsor. Um, I think at the beginning, I didn't realize what that meant, you know. By taking somebody as a sponsor, by having somebody on the job board, I was giving a message that this is a safe place for people uh, who are underrepresented in tech. Um, so I didn't quite understand that. But once after that uh, situation happened, then I, that's when I realized. So when I started diversify tech and the job board, I was like, I'm, I have to make sure you know this sort of thing uh, doesn't happen. I mean, I can't I don't have full control over it right but but I try my best (laughs) not to uh, have that situation happen again yeah that that's interesting because 
you know, anything from your newsletter that you link out to or all of that, people take it as some sort of an endorsement, whether, you know, it's not you necessarily signing on to endorse and love everything about that brand, but yeah. right, you have this trust and credibility and uh, your readers are like, well, she wouldn't have linked to it if it wasn't good, yes. which kind of puts you in a hard place because you don't have necessarily enough information to make a full endorsement of a company. And so I like the way that you've done it with, um, with systems like, um, Frank, you know, everyone listening, if you go to diversifytech.co and go to the job board, right. You call out specifically, um, that it's remote, you know, the, the countries that, you know, the company's hiring from the salary, uh, and you know, a salary range, but so many people are just like, uh, we'll, we'll share the salary when we get yes. to the final you know, interview stage and you go through this whole thing and you're like, I was expecting a salary of 140,000 and now they're offering 110 because yeah. maybe they think they can get away with it or, you know, whatever other thing, or, you know, as, as you're applying for this company, I imagine people are like going to the about page and looking at a sea of a hundred or 200 faces and going, yeah. what team would I be joining? Am I going to be the only one? And so I love that you caught specifically, there's three people on the, on the team in this role. One is a person of color, you know, one is a woman, you know, and, um, and you've standardized that really well. So anyway, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> um, are there things that you tried to standardize in, you know, in that listing that didn't actually work, you know, information that you tried to provide up front that, you know, uh, maybe you weren't able to? I think at the beginning, I was a bit uh, relaxed uh, in the sense that I made it all those fields um, optional. Uh, so when I made that optional, I realized that people just weren't sharing it. <laughs> so that's one thing I did is like I made the salary uh, required field. I made, you know, the team members required field, um, something. So things like that. And I also made, you know, ask them, you know, what, what are you doing in terms of uh, making a change within your company? So all of that over time, I actually made them required. Uh, and when I did that, I thought I would get less and less customers, but it, it turned actually I ended up getting more and more customers. And then also uh, people started sharing that information willingly, um, which built trust in the community, which means they, you know, spread the word out more. Uh, so it like worked out in both ways. Uh, so standardized in the way that I made, I am a little bit strict in like what I ask. I like that. Well, it makes for a more unique community and a more unique product that, you know, that you're putting out there because someone can scroll through that and you're, you're effectively saving them a bunch of time because they were going to jump over yeah. to the about page and try to like yeah. piece together some of this information. And so you did it for them. So I like that. Um, We'll come back to the uh, the story of growing it and all of that, but we'll, while we're on the topic of you know actually you know diversity in tech and all that, I'm curious what are some of those signals that you know job seekers from underrepresented minorities pick up on in the job postings, and maybe on the other side, what what are the things that mm -hmm. uh, you look at when you see a listing and you're like, oh no, what are you <laughs> what are you doing, <laughs> you yeah. know? And then maybe some of the things that that you really celebrate and see like, okay, this company is, is putting out a great effort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, people who are represent, underrepresented, they kind of want to know what they're getting themselves into kind of. So that's why I asked the demographics, uh, because some people, maybe they're used to being the only person on the team and they're fine being, uh, the only, you know, minority on the team, but they know that information up front instead of, um, going through the whole inter interview process. And some people are very strictly like, I will not work for a team that is not diverse, but so they get that information up front. Um, and, and in terms of, uh, job descriptions, um, people do want to know kind of, uh, I think traditionally when people, uh, when companies write job descriptions, they, I think they have, you know, they're writing for mainly like men in tech, uh, specifically like men in tech and, or like, they also might think they're writing for younger people. I don't know. That's what it seems like. You know, they're like, oh, we have ping pong at, uh, or we have pool at our office. You know, that that's, those are the benefits that they list. 
and like my community, like a lot of them just don't even care about that. They don't care if they have you have food at the company, you know, at the office, or if you have, you know, if you do happy hours. Like they don't care about that stuff. What they care about is like, um, you know, well, how much paid time off uh, is maternity, how much maternity uh, leave are you going to give? Um, are you going to support us in our career? Like, is there a stipend for learning, like uh, learning for coaching? Uh, so they're more focused on, they're trying to get an uh, idea of like how the company will support them in their career and uh, and as as them as a person. So those are the signals that they're looking for. And in the most generic job description, it's very hard to tell um, because they don't give that information. So people have to go to the, as you were saying, like about page, see who is working there. Um, so, so I think that's, I think people need to, companies need to shift their mindset from like, okay, we're writing something and we're trying to attract a much, much broader group and, you know, have to think about what they care about. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, and other things are, uh, sometimes com- the job description again, targeted to men. So they might say he will be doing this, you know, they actually use, uh, like the, really? People still do that? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they do that. Yeah. And there are tools out there. Uh, There's one tool called a gender decoder, I think, uh, where you run, put the job description in, and it'll tell you if you're using um, feminine coded words or like uh, like does the job description uh, seem like it's being written for like masculine um, code of words so things like that you can check through but in general i think it's before writing the dis- job description companies really have to think about like okay we're not writing how we used to we need to change uh, and we need to think about who all or all the different kinds of people um that we're writing for even calling calling out things like um yeah time off opportunities uh flexibility as parents, you know, those sorts of things versus talking about hustle and beanbag chairs and (laughs) ping pong and, you know, all of that. Yeah. I forgot to mention, um, on top of that, as we were saying, you know, salary is very important to have too on the job. I've been seeing more and more companies do that, which is awesome. Uh, because uh, depending on the look, the location and what people are shooting for, uh, you know, it, it doesn't fit they can choose not to go through the whole interview process only to learn later that, you know, the salary doesn't match them. Um, and other things, uh, I've also actually, I started asking companies like what, um, their interview process is like, uh, that's been a big thing because my community has basically told me that if they do whiteboard interviews, just don't have them. So I actually made that a guideline. I was like, if your company does whiteboard uh, interviews, I'm sorry, we're not a good fit because nobody's going to apply to it. Um, so that's been another thing to kind of share what kind of interviewing um, that companies are using because based on that interview process also can like, you know, um, make it exclusionary to certain people. For example, I've right. never, ever done well on whiteboard interview. I am somebody who cannot think right, like right on the spot. Uh, I'm somebody who has to think process and then I will come up with an answer. Uh, so, so anyway, that there are take home exams who, which can be much long, which can take quite long for some people and they can see on the job board if it's, it's something that will take them hours. They'll probably choose not to do it, you know, things like that. So for companies also have to think about like their interview process, what are they, um, who are they making it easy for and who they might be excluding. Yeah. I like that. I'm realizing the product that you're providing, you know, both to companies and, um, you know, but especially to your community is really all about expectations and saying, I'm going to give you as much information as possible about this job opportunity up front so that it can set your expectations. And so exactly as you're saying of like, uh, if you're one of those people who is okay being, you know, the only one in a category on, on their team, um, you know, that up front, you know, you know what the salary is up front, you know, all of this. And, um, you know, I love that. Like hiring is such an opaque process. Like, you know, and I, from our side, we try to make like 
run our hiring process as best we can. But even we'll find times that like we went through a whole bunch of candidates and we waited a week longer to send a letdown email to people that, um, you know, we weren't going to move forward with than than we intended to or, or something like that. And so, um, just setting those expect expectations is huge. I'm curious on the hiring process, you know, or, or things that other companies are doing in that, like what makes for a great hiring process? What, when startups ask you like, how should we, how should we improve? You know, what are the things that you point them to and make sure that they want to change so that they can have more success? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, as you were saying, I think transparency is one of the most important things uh, because uh, it, there's a lot of stress and anxiety involved uh, when people are interviewing. Um, and the, the more the company can be transparent about everything, like salary, the interviewing, the timeline, uh, when they're going to hire, all of that, you know, reduces that anxiety quite a bit for candidates. Um, I think the other thing is um, and I think a lot of people also want uh, feedback too if things didn't work out um, why it didn't work out uh, I know it's hard for to give feedback for everything uh, but that's something our community asks for a lot um, and and one of the things that I I hope companies move away from is kind of like the culture fit uh, interviews that they do. Uh, a lot of underrepresented people in tech think of culture fit as interviews as a way of basically uh, excluding people who are not like the founders or who are not like who are not like the managers. So that means a lot of minorities will not be culture fits for a lot of companies if you think of it that way. Or, you know, some companies think culture fit as something that's values, like maybe um, the company has certain values. Um, and But nobody really knows. <laughs> so every, the interviewer uh, thinks one thing, the founder thinks one thing, the manager. So they all have different views of what, a, what culture fit actually means. So at all these different processes, they use their own version of culture fit and they might be excluding people who are actually qualified. So I really hope like companies move away from that uh, because right now a lot of underrepresented people think of culture fit interviews as basically racist, that they're just excluding um, the people who are not, um, who, who are not like the founders. Uh, I, I would say that mo mostly those. Uh, and in terms of uh, diversity, um, one of the issues that has been coming up is companies uh, try to put, they put a lot of effort in branding and marketing uh, rather than the actual process. Um, whenever somebody says, hey, we do care about diversity, we want to do this. So they put all their effort in like marketing, like they want to seem like they are a good company. Um, which maybe they are, uh, or maybe not, but they don't actually go through the work of internally seeing, are they, you know, how, how they treat their employees? Is it, uh, do the current employees like the company? Do they feel okay sharing whatever's on their mind? Um, so they don't do the internal review. Uh, instead, when they choose to, um, they, they go more outward, like, okay, we are, are we, that's what they keep portraying the message. And sometimes when, uh, you know, some of us will believe it and then we'll go interview, we'll get hired and then we'll go and it's like, oh gosh, this is not what you said, uh, you know. <laughs> so I think companies also need to kind of look more internally before they try to recruit more candidates. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the process matters so much. And so I love spelling out, you know, the steps in the process and, and, and all of that. I'm curious, just thinking about these companies and there's so many of them that, that say like, okay, we're going to, this is the way that I feel like a company would talk <laughs> maybe because it's the way that we've talked at different times of like, okay, as we hire for these eight roles, um, in 2021, um, we're really going to work to increase the diversity of the team. What are some of the things that, especially from a company that's not already diverse, you know, what are some of those things that they can immediately do to start to um, move down that path and have like job listings be well received and um, and all that? One thing that 
you know, you touched on a second ago is you could even spell out in your job listing. We will give feedback to every candidate who we interview. Maybe we're not going to, we can't give feedback to every candidate who applies, maybe. But actually, I guess if you wanted to make your job listing stand out, you could yeah. offer to do that. And you might give feedback to 150, 200 people or something. Um, yeah, what are, what are some of those other things that um, companies could do when they're really just starting that journey? Yeah, uh, I think first, I think um, making connections with communities. Um, uh, you, I know like some companies, you know, will have connections with university, different types of universities if they're hiring for college grads or they'll have connections with meetups or organizations. Uh, so similarly, I think they should diversify that. You know, that's a good way of like networking to can with candidates. So there are like so many meetups, communities um, online, like there's Black Tech Pipeline, there's Techaria, um, there is Outin Tech. There are so many organizations now. Um, I think, you know, first step would be to um, connect with those communities and get to know them um, and see what they are looking for, like what their candidates are looking for. Uh, and in terms of um, the hiring process, I think recently I had somebody post a job and I had to immediately take it off two days later because they got so many job postings, so many uh, applications. And one of the things they did was in their for their interview process, they said, oh, we're, we're just going to have a casual conversation about what you had previously done uh, for your work. Um, and candidates love that because the people who have experience, they are very, very tired of going through the same process that everybody uh, is going through of like taking a coding test, doing this. There's like so much. And when you're applying for jobs, it takes it's a lot of effort. Sometimes it becomes like your part time, full time job just to apply and do all these take home exams. So one of the ways this company stood out was that, oh, we're going to review your uh, previous experience to see if we're up it. Um, so I think, you know, way to stand out is actually to make it e easier for the candidates. Uh, I know it's harder on the company side when you get, um, but I think if you know what you truly want, I think you can make your job description a little bit more uh, transparent because if you list like 10 different things, candidates know that you're not expecting them to know all 10 different things. So people from all of those different requirements will apply. So you will get a lot of applicants. But if you're very strict and say, I want these things, and you, that's actually what you want, uh, I think it helps the candidate to know, uh, okay, this am I good fit or not? Um, and also truly list, uh, I guess the big problem with job descriptions is that nobody actually knows what the job is based on the job description. <laughs> Because it just seems like you're going to do everything, which which I know is, the, is not the actual, actually true. Uh, I think being strict on both sides, like um, describing what actually you want and also uh, interviewing for exactly that. Yeah. And so one thing that I hear in that is a level of transparency like we talked about before, but also um, saying that as a company, you're willing to take on some of that work. Right. Because in a lot of interview processes, you know, the company is getting hundreds of applications. I think for a, a typical engineering role at ConvertKit, we get between 200 and 300 applications. Um, and so it's very easy to fall into this habit of like, okay, we have really limited time. So how can we screen the candidates and put as much work on the candidates as possible? You know, so that it saves our time as a company. And so if you're trying to stand out, what you're talking about is like, no, we'll actually take on more of that work. We'll give resumes a detailed review. It, we won't put you through the same canned process of like, let me ask each person these same exact five questions and all of that. And instead, you'll jump on a call and be like, hey, it's great to meet you. You know, like be conversational, personable, just be like, let me learn about you, you know, in a genuine conversation rather than like, this sterile formal interview process and it sounds like those are things that people would really like yeah yes i think so i think everybody i'm part i'm part of a lot of uh different communities and everybody's so tired of just the interview process mainly um you know they apply and also app applications and writing cover letter for each of them and uploading resumes uh i mean if they're 
you know, on the company side, you know, it might be that you're getting, uh, you know, 200 applicants, but on the candidate side, they might also be applying for that many jobs for, but for each job, they had to put in effort for the application for the, uh, you know, the resume, the cover letter, if there's a take-home exam, if there's a code test at the beginning, all of that like really, really adds up. What do you think um, later on in a hiring process, you know, if you're doing a code test or a homework assignment or something like that, um, one thing we do at ConvertKit is we do have that project. I think it's capped at five hours and it's, I'm trying to remember the exact details. I think it's paid at $75 an hour. Um which is, you know, not like an incredible, you know, <laughs> rate for anything like that. But we're trying to demonstrate, like, hey, this is the time that you're putting in. This is mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's great. Everything else. So I'm I'm curious, um, is paying for the you know those homework assignments something that is really well received by candidates? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, um, the, I just uh, got an email this morning from somebody saying that they went through an interview process and they didn't know about it, but they did get a. Uh, paid for the inter- the take-home part. And she said that that was really nice of the company. So yes, that, that definitely helps if you do take-home exams, um, take-home tests. And uh, another thing is when there are take-home tests, some companies are making it a little bit too much. Like sometimes some of these, they take like a whole week uh, to uh, work yeah. on the project. So if you're applying to a lot of job working on a, a take-home project for like that will take 40 hours, that's a, lo- that's a lot. So I'm glad that, you know, for ConvertKit, it's a, you said five hours. So I think that's like a reasonable time. And on top of that, if it's paid. Uh, but there, yeah, I think companies need to be mindful of that too because the candidates are applying to a lot of jobs and they can't be spending all their time just doing uh, take-home exams. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I realized that we used to do at ConvertKit that we don't really do anymore. And I'm not sure why is we used to do a lot of like contract to hire. And so, you know, we would find someone that was really good and um, then we'd say like, okay, we think we want to do this, but let's do for 10 hours a week for the next three weeks or something. Will they have their other role or, or something like that? Let's do this actual project that we're paying full rates for that is, legitimately useful to us, but we'll demonstrate that like we work well together, you know, as a candidate, you're a good communicator. You can deliver on the code and that kind of thing. Um, I feel like that used to be a thing maybe three, four years ago in the industry. And now it, I don't think it is at all anymore. (laughs) What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's a hard one. Um, Again, it's the whole time aspect of it because people don't want to quit their other job while they're, so they're still doing their other job and probably have, you know, if you're a parent, you have uh, other things that you're taking care of. So on top of that, to do another, you know, like contract work, I think that might be the main reason Uh, for my community, at least that'll be a hard one for them to do more work on top of the other things. Um, but in terms of assessment, I agree that is a good way to like get to know the candidate and see if you fit. But I think it's the time constraint that might be the issue. As you know, more and more people are being hired into tech and uh, people trying to break into tech are in a better and better position. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, a, a really talented candidate might have quite a few offers. And so if one of them has like this, yeah, this, we would love to have you and we're just doing this contract project to make sure. And this other one is just like, we would love to have you. Yeah. Can you start in two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, ah, I think I'll go with this one. <laughs> you know, And so then just be competitive. Yes. Um, I mean, sort of, uh, I, I don't know if this is, is a good analogy or not, but like I think about, you know, real estate markets in um, like in Boise where I am, the real estate market is absolutely insane right now. And so it is a hundred percent in the buyers or sorry, in the seller's favor right now. You know, and that'd be the same thing where in, in tech, the the job market feels to me to be very in the candidate's favor right now, um, which is amazing because then it's going to bring in, you know, salaries keep climbing and, and everything else. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of like really high salaries lately, which is, yeah, which is wild. Um, I, I, I do want to add that it seems to be um, candidate's side if you're like more on the senior side though, unfortunately for like entry levels and people who are trying to get into tech, it is 
highly competitive for them. Um, there are, yeah. especially because companies just don't seem to be hiring anybody on the entry level side, which is which makes it hard. And in, and in the past few years, you know, like boot camps, all of these, like a lo- whole lot of people have generated lots of people who want to get into tech. Uh, but because there isn't that much demand for entry level post positions, uh, right now there's a ton of people who are still looking for their first job. So on the, you know, on the people who are trying to enter tech, it's uh, unfortunately, it's pretty hard for them. Um, and for uh, people who are underrepresented, I know some people who've been looking for a job for like the past two, three years, and they still haven't found a job. Uh, and when an entry-level posting does open up, it's just like they get so many op- job applications that they have to like close it off right away. Yeah, it's hard. So it's like it depends on where you're in your career. Like for the beginners, it's definitely hard for them right now. That's interesting. Um and I, I'm thinking about the entry level positions that we've posted and, and you're absolutely right. They have three, four times the number of candidates that a mid-level or a senior position would have. How do you think companies should balance that, right? Because obviously the company's trying to uh they have their goals, they're trying to ship software on the schedule. But then at the same time, you know, building a diverse team, it's not just in background and all of that. It's also in skill set and level of, um, you know, how experienced is the team, what new perspectives are they bringing in and everything from there. Um, how do you encourage companies to, to think about hiring, you know, entry level to all the way up to, to senior and the mix that they have on their teams? Yeah, um, I think... I think what's happening right now is that most companies are hiring mostly like mid-level or senior. Like when I first started the job board, all the roles that I was getting were only senior roles. Uh, and my community was kept asking me for other roles. And I'm like, you know, it was a hard position for me because that's what companies were hiring for. Um, and lately I've been uh, asking the companies, you know, please do share, you know, mix of uh, roles, not just senior roles. Uh, that seems to have helped a little bit. Um, I definitely have more mid-level roles now. Um, I think in term, for the company itself, uh, um, well, I'll give you an example of uh, in my previous company, I used to work for the U.S. Geological Survey as a software engineer, and it was a pretty mixed uh, group. Like, I think we had at least, uh, um, I think it was half and half. We had like five folks who were junior and we about five folks who were senior. And we worked pretty well. Uh, we know we didn't feel like we, the juniors were taking that much uh, more of our time or anything like that. I think even there, I think it's um, when you set the expectations, I think, for the seniors that, you know, part of your job is to, um, you know, help the juniors and bring them along, uh, help them along in their career. Um, I think it, and the way we worked, you know, we were able to meet our deadlines. Uh, everything worked fine. I, I think there is um, one thing I, I do want to say is like tech is also like always changing. So I feel like people are newbies for sometimes too. Even the seniors are sometimes newbies in certain technologies. Yeah. So I know people say I want only a senior, uh, you know, developers or senior designers. But at the same time, they're also newbies and they're also continuously learning new things. Uh, so if you think about it from that way, you know, hiring a junior and helping them along is not that much different. Um, so, so I think I know companies, uh, they might be looking at the bottom line too, but in terms of like diversifying, I think if you want to, you know, include more underrepresented people, I think it has to be from all levels. Um, so th- if you think of it that way, uh, I think you, companies do need to figure out how they can um, help juniors uh, and and so on. Uh, and also, like, every senior, you know, has to start as a junior, right? Yes. And I feel like the company that does help people who enter the market, they'll be more loyal to them. For example, I was very, very loyal to the first company that ever hired me. Uh, I worked with them for two years. I went to grad school and the, and a few years later, I actually went back to them as a senior engineer and I worked with them because I knew it was a company and I had, uh, you know, I felt a 
like it sounds very loyal to them because they were the ones who helped me break into the industry. Uh, right now, when, when everybody wants to hire seniors, well, it's hard, it's very competitive <laughs> and they're going to have to spend a lot of money in recruiting. They have to spend a lot of money for their salaries. Uh, but if, you know, if they spent all that effort uh, and money on growing a junior, you know, they could, you know, get somebody up to that level in a few years, you know. But, but I feel like eventually the industry does need to hire entry level uh, folks because you're not going to be able to get seniors all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the industry just needs so many more, more people. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, that... You know, news for the companies, you can't keep just trading the same senior engineers around. You have to actually grow the pool because um, we just, we need more software engineers. I'd love to shift back to um, Diversify Tech and, and your business. Um, would you mind sharing some numbers as to, you know, where you're at for subscribers and, and then, you know, any revenue numbers, anything like that, that you're up for sharing? Uh, so Diversify Tech, uh, so I started it in 2018. Uh, uh, I was before or I was looking up how many people I started with. So at that time when I started, there were like 300 people in uh -huh. December, when, uh, July 2018. That's when I started. It was about 300 people. Uh, and since then, right now, we are at about 8,600 8, nice. uh, subscribers uh, who, for the newsletter for underrepresented people in tech. Uh, and for revenue, uh, when I started, there was no job board. Uh, I started the job board around December 2018. Uh, I was getting about $500 per month uh, in revenue at that time. And it took some time to grow. And in t last year, um, and in 2019, it grew to about $1,500 per month. Uh, and at that time... I, I wasn't doing any marketing. It was all through word of mouth. Uh, so that's when 2019 kept con being consistent around $1,500 to $2,000 per month. That's when I was like, okay, I think I need to focus on it to grow it. Yeah. That I think I can make it bigger. That's when I quit my job in 2020. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I actually did not have a chance to you know, grow. the. I didn't have time to put the effort into it. Uh, but fortunately, word of mouth still continued. Uh, and in June of last year, it actually like doubled quite, like the revenue jumped up quite a bit. I started making about $10,000 per month uh, June of last year. Uh, and right now, I'm averaging about $17,000 per month in revenue uh, this year. Nice. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I've had a few spikes here and there, uh, but that that seems to be how it's going now. <laughs> and so, is that um, or how does that split? Because you have Patreon, you have the job board, um, you also have sponsorships. Um, is most of that driven by the job board? About eighty percent of it is from the job board, uh, and then sponsorships. I haven't been taking as much uh, lately. Uh, but sponsorships uh, are about 10%. Uh, and Patreon, I uh, actually didn't include Patreon in the numbers I shared, but uh, right now I get about $1,000 per month through Patreons. Nice. So that, that's a, a solid baseline for, you know, expenses for running the newsletter and yes. all of that. Yeah, that's good. What do you think about different ways to monetize the newsletter? You know, there, there's so many different people do paid newsletters, people do sponsorships, they sell products, everything else. You know, you've settled on your product, your main product being the job board. Um, were there other monetization things that you've considered or, um, and I guess this makes it a broad question, but uh, just if someone's coming to you and they're like, hey, I'm going to start a newsletter, you know, what would you say to them about uh, how they should monetize it? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, it totally depends on their audience and, you know, what the topic is. Uh, I know a lot of lots of newsletters that are similar to mine. They have um, paid version of it, or they have a community. So one is paid version, uh, and which gives them some extra bonus uh, uh, content, or they have a separate community um, and they charge for being part of the community and for extra perks. Uh, for me, that didn't quite fit with um, my team and my audience because. One of the things I'm trying to do is uh, connect them to, with opportunities, and I don't want to create any barriers for people. 
So that's why I didn't want to go the membership route. Or So I don't actually charge my members for anything. Uh, so the newsletter itself is free. So I, that was that's part of the mission to to help not to help them, you know, connect with opportunities. So that's why I didn't do that. But whereas for me, mine's kind of like a two-sided marketplace. So I have uh, my users who are underrepresented in tech, and then um, I have the customers who are trying to, you know, reach uh, this audience. So that's why for me, it made sense to uh, go towards the other side of it. So companies who are trying to, um, you know, advertise. Uh, so it, initially, sponsorship is where, where what I wanted to do. Um, but it became a little bit tricky for my audience because sponsorship usually goes more towards branding and marketing. Um, and I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. I wanted companies who are actually doing the work versus who want to make it seem like doing the work. And it becomes very, very tricky. <laughs> uh, so that's why I've been reducing sponsorships a little bit, uh, because I have to do a little bit more digging and I can't always find the information I need. So job boards, it's more like the companies are themselves applying to be on the job board. Uh, so I made it a little bit more strict. So that's why the job board, um, I feel like it goes in theme with my audience. Uh, right. So for me, the job board has been working out uh, and also do ads. Uh, so other ideas to just do any kind of ad um, uh, in the newsletter. So I do have ads like, you know, sometimes boot camps want to share that they're opening up applications or there is an um, event that is looking for more speakers from a diverse group. So they'll share their call for proposal and they'll do an ad. Um, so, so yeah, those are the different, the things I've been doing is, uh, it, you know, the job board, some sponsorships, some ads, um, and for other folks, you know, depending on their audience, uh, like paid memberships, I've been seeing a lot of folks doing paid, paid newsletters and then, um, the, the communities and yeah. It's pretty cool. Like when I started, there were barely any newsletters. Now it's just like there's so much going on. Uh, and it's cool to see what all the different things that people are doing. Yeah. Well, one thing that I really love about what you said is the mission driving the business model. Because you're absolutely right that you could have – there's a lot of different groups involved, right? There's the candidates, there's the members of the community, there's the companies who are hiring, there's the boot camps and all of this. And you could try to build a business model where you're making a bit of money from each group. But when you're saying like, no, I'm trying to, my whole mission is to get underrepresented people in tech. And so there can't be any barriers on that side. Yes. <laughs> Over here, you have all of these companies that have initiatives. Um, <laughs> some like you called out are purely marketing and others are real genuine efforts to um, build a diverse team. And then it's like, great, let's, Let's find a way that they can fund the business, that they can pay for it because, you know, they're the ones who are going to be paying out large salaries and everything else. They have the budget for it. So yeah. from a mission side, let's have them pay for it. And that's perfect. I, I love that. And I think for a lot of um, newsletter creators and just business owners, you know, when you're looking at all these different opportunities and trying to decide, oh, should I go this way or, or that way? And it's just like, what matches the mission? And let the mission be the thing that that decides the business model. That's good. Um, what's working for for growth? You know, you mentioned, um, you know, you're approaching ten thousand subscribers on the newsletter. Um, where are those subscribers coming from now? And and you know, what are some of those other things that that are working to bring in new subscribers? Yeah, um, all of it has been through word of mouth, which has been amazing. Uh, it's been mainly word of mouth and some of um, and some of it through um, Twitter. So, to, I guess word of mouth on Twitter uh, has been the largest uh, largest way uh, we've been getting subscribers. And I've been trying to think of more ways to kind of grow it uh, to kind of. Um, increase the growth rate a little bit. Um, I haven't found um, anything particular yet, but right now I'm trying out a referral program uh, because word of mouth is what is working. So I wanted to uh, make it easier for people to share and refer more folks. So that's what I've been working on now. Uh, and for, I've been also getting requests to kind of make the newsletter for more groups. So, so I've been getting uh, folks from Europe, uh, like a lot of companies from Europe want to share 
uh, things on the job board, but I didn't, I didn't grow that part of the community. All of our members are in the U.S., so uh, I, we're actually launching a newsletter for the Europe region, Europe and U.K. region uh, in, in a few weeks. Uh, so that's another way I'm um, growing the newsletter and the job board. Um, yeah, depending on how that goes, you know, maybe cover more regions uh, around the world. Yeah, that's that's what I've been doing now. <laughs> Do you have a team, or is this all you? What's what's the process behind the scenes? Yeah, uh, when I started, it was all me. Uh, I have somebody who uh, I have a contractor who helps me with some of the data entry stuff, uh, like all the things I collect. She helps me, uh, you know, put them into our database, and they, they show up in the newsletter and the website. So I have somebody like that. Uh, and for the Europe one, uh, I didn't want to take that up on my own. So for the Europe one, I'm working with somebody who I, I, I partnered with somebody who she's going to be running um, the Europe newsletter. So right yeah. now it's just three, <laughs> three of us. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing what you can get done with a small team. And then it's also amazing how much, you know, an additional human coming in to help makes yeah. a big difference. Um, I wanted to ask on, on the affiliate program, uh, the referral program, a lot of people are thinking about doing that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I think on one hand, it feels like something that like, Oh, you could spin this up and growth could accelerate by, you know, 10, 20% a month or something. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you get into the logistics of like, okay, what do I offer as rewards? Yeah. Um, how is this actually going to work? Will people share? And I'm curious what that process has been, been like and, and just how you chose the rewards that you did. Yeah. Uh, going back to how you were saying, you know, I, I try to try tie everything to my mission. So one thing I've been doing is, so I had to pick rewards for the referral program. Um, what I've been doing is picking uh, products written by uh, people who are underrepresented in tech. So the first few rewards were books uh, written by women of color um, um, or um, and next, I think I'm going to do like maybe stickers that were made by women of color, T-shirts made by other uh, people who are underrepresented in tech. Uh, so those are the rewards that I've chosen. Uh, I like that because I feel like I'm supporting their business, um, uh, which which is what my mission is to support other underrepresented people in tech. So and then also, um, ho- hopefully, it'll help uh, with the growth with the newsletter too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's. Talking platforms for a second, um, what what are you using to put together the referral program and how's that been working? Um, the first, uh, when I started, I actually built my own, uh, but it, it was it was too weird. Like the, the like, curse of the developer. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I should not be spending my time doing this. <laughs> um, and then actually I'm using Sparkloop, um, which is nice. integrated into ConvertKit, right? So, I, so that's what I've been using now. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm just, I just started it like about three months ago. So I, I have still have to figure out, you know, what kind of words will work, how, uh, I need to optimize all my subscriber forms and all of that to, to get better results. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's always fun to, to test and experiment and figure that out. I'm at the point where I think I'll launch a referral program for my newsletter in the next month, two months. You know, kind of one of those when I get around to it, but I have those notes where you're like penciling in ideas. You're like, oh, this could be a reward. And then you're like, later like that would be a terrible reward. Let's not do that. <laughs> so it's good. And and of course, I'll also be using, using Sparkloop just because it's so integrated and, yeah. and, uh, and the team over there is great. What are some other things that um, are next for the, the newsletter in the community? Right now, I'm... Um... Well, I'm waiting for the pandemic uh, and vaccine and all of that because uh, it's been hard to manage everything since uh, since all of yes. this started. Um, my intention when I quit my job was to grow the community and the news newsletter and the job board. Uh, fortunately, the job board has been growing um, through word of mouth. The subscriber rate uh, for the newsletter has like reduced a l- little bit, so I'm trying to uh, increase that. So I'm focusing on that. Now, um, yeah, it, it, I'm taking it slow, I guess. I just, I'm happy that things are working, trying to enjoy it for now. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think for the next things, we, we, uh, me and Naima, she's, been, she's going to be working on the Europe newsletter. And so 
uh, we're launching that in, probably in the next two weeks. To, and it'll be interesting to see what that market is like. Um, it's kind of cool to be in a position to um, launch something when you already have an existing business and to grow it. That's a completely different problem than when you're just starting out. So, so yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> you're spot on with that, that having an audience and a following and, and connections in the industry, then when you go to launch that next thing, it, it's still a ton of work yes. to be clear, Yes, <laughs> but it, it, it is, you get that, that kickstart uh, to it. So that makes a big difference. Um, also, I love the angle that, you know, you had, and you were just talking about of like enjoying the process and saying like, I always think about this trade-off as, as a founder, you know, as an ambitious person, uh, between gratitude and ambition and how do you live in both of those places at the same time in this feeling of like, I have enough. Um, and I'm so grateful for the company, the community, the team, like everything that I have, like, this is incredible. I get to, um, you know, I'm not working for another company. I get to do my own thing. And then also like, I'm always trying to grow it to, <laughs> to be bigger. And I think it's hard to live in both those places. And it sounds like, uh, you're doing a good job with that. I'm curious if you have more thoughts if that's something you struggle with as well. No, I definitely struggle with that. But one of the reasons uh, I did start my own business was to have that. So I, I try to remind myself of like, okay, the reason you quit corporate uh, was because you wanted more time on your hands. So sometimes I have to like remind myself of that. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, you know, it'll be the same old where I'll be just working all the time and not enjoying life. So one of the reasons to start a business was to have that flexibility. So uh, I remind myself to take the time. Um, and the other thing is that with COVID and everything, life has been very, very stressful, like so many unknowns, yeah. all of that. So I definitely feel a little burnt out on that sense, like from the life side of it. You know, being a parent um, yeah, with everything that's going on is definitely hard right now. So that's another thing I'm like, okay, it's not, I definitely need a break from all of it. <laughs> So I just, right. you know, but can't exactly take a break. Uh, so that's why I'm trying to be a little bit more like go at a slower pace. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's great that realizing that you can set your own pace and do that. I'm curious, you know, I'm thinking back to when I was working at my last startup job and, you know, <laughs> we were doing many of the things that startup do. I don't know. We pulled all nighters. Like what, what was the, even the point of that? You know, I'm just looking back and that, that was eight <laughs> years ago now, but um, <laughs> there were so many things. So when I wanted to leave that job that I was looking to like, Oh, I, I could travel. I could, you know, um, have freedom in my time. You know, even things I do now, like going for a walk in the middle of the day, is just like, it's amazing. But I'm curious, what's something recent that uh, you've kind of celebrated in your life of, of like, wait, because I don't work in corporate anymore, I was able to do this thing, even if it was small. Um, you know, if there was no pandemic, I would, you know, totally just go take a vacation. Uh, but lately I've been just, uh, like, we've been enjoying, enjoying little things. Like my husband work, works from home too. Like we've been taking walks after lunch uh, or, you know, one day we just kept it. My daughter goes to daycare. One day we just decided to keep our daughter at home. Uh, and we did nothing besides hang out. Uh, so yeah, so things like that. <laughs> well, I, th I think that's such a good reminder that even in all of the growth and hustle and everything else that we do for our own businesses, realizing that like, okay, take a step back. Remember, <laughs> remember why you decided to be your own boss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I actually think about if you would write your own job listing, you know, for, uh, diversify tech, you know, you're like now hiring a CEO and all of that or, or whatever role you're like, wait, would I be a good boss? Am I, <laughs> do I treat myself, <laughs> you know, well, or am I like, no, you have to be hard driving and get all of this done. So, um, but it's just a good reminder that as a founder, as an entrepreneur, like you are the boss and, and like <laughs> treat yourself well, yep. treat your employees well, even when that key employee is you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I've, I've loved this conversation and, and learning more about the inside of your business and, and, uh, and especially thank you for sharing everything about, you know, 
how to build diverse teams and the mistakes that people make. Um, why don't you tell people where they should go to follow you online, subscribe to the newsletter, support what you're doing and all of that? Uh, so I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm at uh, Vaini Kunche. Uh, that's my handle. And for the newsletter, if you go to diversifiedtech.co, uh, you'll see a subscribe button and you can. So if you're underrepresented in tech, you can sign up for one of those newsletters. I also have one for companies and for allies who want to understand diversity more. So that's one's called the Business and Ally newsletter. So you can sign up for that one too. That's perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll see you around on Twitter. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. 